0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries?
1: Well, Donald Trump was indicted again. It's beginning to feel like I could say those words at the top of every week's podcast for a year straight. He's going to be indicted more times than Joe Biden won the state of Georgia, I joke, but the truth is that this is actually entirely insane. And it's really, really sad, but it's also terrifying because this particular indictment has the most serious charges he faces in it. He's charged with undermining our country's basic principles. The New York Times editorial board put it like this, Mr. Trump tried to overturn the nation's constitutional system and the rule of law. That system survived his attacks and will now hold him to account for the damage. And that is what he deserves. And here's the thing about Donald Trump. Well, I know most of us don't wanna talk about him and we really, really, really don't want him constantly taking up all of the oxygen in the room all of the time because that's what he really wants. I also believe that we ignore him completely to our collective peril. It's a difficult needle to thread and we certainly have seen in the past, the ramifications of spending too much time and consideration on him and on amplifying his crazy. But I do believe that we also have to make sure that we both monitor and check him on his never ending stream of democracy destabilizing BS. And even if nothing any of us ever says that is based in truth or fact about Trump actually reaches his cult-like followers, enters their craniums, seeps into what's left of their brains and shows them the light, we still have to keep shining it anyway. My guest on this episode is my friend, Aaron Rupar. I first became aware of Aaron on Twitter in 2017. He was covering Trump's appearances and speeches Um, as a journalist for Vox. Many times, his content was video-driven, and I found that to be particularly useful because it cut through all of the noise and interpretation. Aaron was a bit of a lifeline for me during the pandemic because of his tireless coverage of Trump and all things Republican crazy. One of my favorite things about him is that he's driven by the truth as much as anyone I've ever known, so much so that it drew him the ire of one Elon Musk. We talk about his very personal experience with Elon, his experience with Trump, and the ways in which both of them have changed and shaped social media forever. Aaron is a great guy with an amazing newsletter on Substack called Public Notice, which you should definitely check out. So with that said, let's get to the conversation. I hope you enjoy. So, hi, Aaron. Welcome to Are You Fing Kidding Me? My podcast. <laughs> Thank you for joining me.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Joe.
1: This is so um, exciting and fun and awesome for me because. As you know, I've probably said this on social media about a 100,000 times, but you have been for a very long time. My favorite Twitter account to follow for a million reasons, but you are still the first account I check in the morning and the last account I check at night. And especially during the peak of the COVID crazy, I feel like you your feed kept me both tuned in to the crazy, but also kind of saying at the same time, I don't know how, but <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, well, if you don't follow Aaron, you need to. And mm-hmm. most of your content is video driven, right? It's mm-hmm. not necessarily heavy on the commentary, although there is some, but mm-hmm. some of the things that you, clip videos of are obviously like the Trump crazy press conferences, especially the COVID ones, but also the rallies and also Fox News and other all the other channels. So I want to ask you, what was the evolution of your account? Did it start that way? Was this something you had an epiphany about? No,
0: I I really kind of stumbled into the video stuff. Um, I was at Think Progress out in D.C., uh, R.I.P., which uh, people might remember that was a progressive news site. Um, that actually brought me out to DC in 2016, and I started working there just in time for the 2016 campaign. Um, I remember my first day at that job was actually Super Tuesday, <laughs> which was one of the big days where Trump kind of consolidated, you know, the fact that he was going to be the nominee. And um, so then that fall, we had a training on a product called Snapstream, which uh, Judd, who was then Judd Legum, who was the editor in chief of Think Progress, bought an account for the whole newsroom, and the idea was that. It would help us kind of stay on top of cable news because what Snapstream does is it records cable, basically, and then you can go back and clip it and post and it's really easy. And so we had a training and I didn't really think twice about it, but like a big part of my job as an editor there, I was kind of in the newsroom all day. So I was kind of keeping an eye on cable and like I had more bandwidth to do that than reporters who were out in the field did. And so that kind of became part of my job. And I remember one night uh, when I was at home, I was watching Fox, which wasn't something that I really did a lot of them. But I think it was like wrapping up some work or something like that. And John Kelly, who was the White House chief of staff at the time, was on Laura Ingram's show. And this was like a month after the Charlottesville stuff. And this interview kind of ended up um, being an infamous one because this was John Kelly kind of had some comments about how he thought the Confederacy was fighting for heritage and not slavery and that he didn't think it was disgraceful to honor these, you know, these generals. Um, and he was kind of defending, you know, cities like Richmond having Confederate monuments. And so, you know, I was watching this as it unfolded. And then I just kind of had that thought, you know, like, Hey, I just had this training on this product where I can do a little clip and put it on Twitter really easily just with like writing a caption and pushing a button. And so I did that for like, just like a, you know, 45 second clip. And you know, by the time I got up the next morning, it had um, a few thousand retweets and like 100,000 views, which is by far the most viral of anything I posted. I think I, at this time, I had like 5000 Twitter followers. Mm. And so, you know, really literally overnight, um, it kind of opened my eyes to just the demand that people have for news clips. And like, you know, it kind of became clear to me that if I could kind of make this part of my job, you know, sort of filtering cable for people who can't watch it all day as part of my beat, basically... Um, that there would be a lot of appetite for that. And it would really help me kind of grow a following on social media. And so from there, I kind of made it part of my routine to watch the white house press briefing, uh, the press briefings with Sean Spicer at the time <laughs> and Trump rallies, uh, congressional hearings. And so it just kind of, you know, it kind of grew from there, but really that day, when I first posted that Kelly clip um, I had pretty much exponential growth in my Twitter following, like pretty much through COVID, as you mentioned. And then from there, Um, my daughter was born in May of 2020. And so, you know, once, once you have kids, as I'm sure is the case with you too, it becomes a little harder to work all the time. Um, and so these days, I mean, I'm a little more selective. I kind of dip in and out, um, in a way that I used to be able to just kind of watch all of Fox news primetime. Now I'll like find a segment or two and tune in for that, you know, if I can or watch it later. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of grown and grown from there. And, you know, now it's like, even this morning, you know, when I, when I find a good clip to post, you have to put it on like eight different platforms now, which, um, that's kind of a job unto itself where it's like, okay, Mastodon, Twitter, thread, (laughs) Substack notes, post news, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but you know, it really has kind of helped make my career just, you know, having some competency with video and, and having the tools to post videos like that, that people, you know, find informative.
1: Yeah. I want to, I want to, kind of put a pin in the conversation about all the different platforms now because you have a very specifically personal experience with the current demise of of whatever it's called, whatever the hell they call it now. I still call it Twitter. I will always call it Twitter until it's in the grave. But we're going to put a pin in that. Remind me to come back to that because I want to talk about what happened to you, what was done to you. Um, what was it called? The codes, my my location codes, I forget. What do you call it?
0: Oh, the the the, the assassination coordinates. Yes,
1: thank you. Assassination coordinates. So we're going to stick a pin in that because sure. I wanted to talk about the value, why it was so important ingenious really but why people like me users like me of social media were were drawn to your account in terms of the value of the videos because i feel like what we were going through and and it hasn't let up since was just this deluge of everything information crazy like you said john kelly's quote then was probably one of a hundred crazy quotes that could have come out of that given week probably from that administration but the idea that you put it on video so that we didn't have to just take somebody else's word for it or go search for Mm. it ourselves or find it through other traditional means of media like newspapers etc it's right there in their own words for us to just go see and then base our interpretations off of the video which is which was genius and one of the reasons that i found such value in going to your account plus you weren't hitting us over the head with your thoughts on stuff you know and i think you, yeah. you know, you interviewed Jay Black is funny on your podcast and you met him in the replies to your comments. And that's yeah. where you and I met was in the yeah. replies to your comments, because I, I want to talk about that, too. That was obviously an intentional choice, I would guess, on your part to just put the information up there without your particular bias attached to it.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, back at that time, both at Think Progress and then especially at Vox, um, you know, Vox kind of has a. Um, you know, they're kind of down the middle. They don't really want their reporters being like polemical or like, you know, um getting in trouble for saying something controversial or incendiary. And so um, you know, I guess I've always, though, as kind of like a basic journalistic journalistic principle, thought that it's better to show than to tell, you know, to really kind of like show something for what it is through your work, not necessarily kind of hammer someone over the head with like your interpretation of that. Um, but it it kind of varies week by week. I mean. You know, for instance, as you mentioned, with like some of the covid press briefings and whatnot, like it was really hard not to (laughs) call out Trump as being irresponsible or lying, you know. And so I I had no, you know, compunction that was, you know, you got to call that out when you see it sort of thing. But, um, you know, it it depends on the event. I mean, sometimes just getting the quotes out there, like with the John Kelly example that came up earlier, um, that clip just consisted of a clip and then his direct quote. But like the quote kind of spoke for itself, you know, because he was arguing that these Confederate generals were kind of like heroes in a way. And um, that was a viewpoint that was pretty out of step. And, um, you know, I think we saw that with how the whole Charlottesville thing played out, um, you know, and, and how that affected the Republican Party in that next midterm in 2018, where they really, you know, they really got demolished. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on the situation. But, yeah, I mean, I, I try to always keep in mind that's more valuable to show someone rather than to tell. And then, um, you know, try to be somewhat charitable and that you don't want to misrepresent what people are saying. Um, you, know, you want to kind of engage with, even if it's something you disagree with on, on, you know, and on terms that are fair to them and that don't um, kind of put words in someone's mouth or something like that. So you know, these are just kind of like basic journalistic principles. But I think having that background kind of helped me um, with that. And, you know, you're exactly right that um, I noticed that people really appreciated being able to kind of see the clip for themselves and not necessarily have like New York Times interpret it for them or, you know, kind of miscontextualize something. And so, yeah, I mean, there were a few different accounts at that time that were doing video work kind of similar to that. But I think I was one of the first ones who did like threads, you know, because I did like the press briefing thread for November 12th or whatever, you know, and kind of have everything in one place so people could catch up with what they missed. And now it's like such a saturated marketplace, like, you know, it's become just as technology has advanced and people have these tools that are, make it really easy um, to kind of do that style of journalism on your own or post clips. Um, So it's really changed in that respect where I kind of had that market cornered, which I think was one of the reasons my account grew so fast right away. And now if you're trying to break in doing video work or really anything on social media, it's just so saturated that, um, you know, that's really a big change even in just, I guess now six years that I've been doing this.
1: Yeah. It seems like that's even changed. Exponentially in a in a in a few short years, like I feel like it was you really in that lane by yourself. Um, and I don't know how to say his name, but Asen, how do you say Asen?
0: I think it's Asen. That's what yeah, that's what I was going with. Yeah,
1: he was in the lane. He joined you, so but it's definitely become much more saturated now. But I still go to you predominantly, and I wanted to talk to you about the threads before we jump over to that Elon conversation about the threads that you do because that was something definitely that differentiated you also, but. What I want to ask you from a personal perspective is, so you're, A, the process a little bit, but like you're, so you're saying you're sitting there, you know, you're watching something, cutting it into videos to share. And if, if it's something in particular with Trump, which we know was just always crazy, but like an event like the injecting disinfectants thing, or I keep thinking about the the church moment, the Bible shaking moment sure. where they clear guys yeah. that you, I know you did a live thread of that, or uh, I don't know if the word is live, but it was, you did a thread of I think I remember correctly. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, I where, Yeah. And so you see all of this unfolding, right? You're, you're cutting the video. You're watching the video. You're like, what is your mind thing? You're like, oh, did he just... Am I seeing this or yeah. standing there and in front of a goddamn boarded up church You didn't even go to? Where's that Bible from? What is happening? Like, how do you just keep going and not be like, holy shit, I have, like, I have to digest this or I have to say something about this? You're just sending the videos out there.
0: Yeah, well, the, the other thing that, you know, especially now that... Relevant to what we were just talking about is that because there's so many people clipping these things now, there is kind of like kind of a race to it. You know what I yeah. mean? Or like I remember, you know, with, with some of the Trump ones or even the, the Bible moment, I, I remember, you know, kind of like you want to make sure you have the right caption and you're kind of capturing what's going on in the text that you have with it. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to overuse that, but that can be as simple as like WTF or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I don't remember what I wrote in that specific case, but like you have to kind of balance like wanting to kind of have the best possible tweets or, you know, if it's a thread, whatever platform you're on um, versus like, there's also a lot of value in being early with stuff like that. Just because like, you know, if you're the fifth one who posts that clip, someone else's is probably going to take off unless like you're really adding value in terms of having more context or doing like a fact check or something. So that can be a good way to go as well. You know, if you don't want to get involved, like the racing to be the first one to have it, you know, you can always add that little extra context that will kind of separate what you're doing from other people. But um, yeah, I mean, there is always that kind of thought when you're watching an event like that, or like a Trump rally, when he'll say something really outrageous, you know, that kind of that part of my brain kind of, you know, speaks up where it's like, oh, man, you're gonna have to post a clip of this, like, um, so you kind of know it when you see it. There's no real science to it, um, yeah. and I, I'll be the first one to admit. Like especially these days, I have two young kids. Like you know, oftentimes when I'm watching these things, I'm really distracted. Um, if it's in the evenings, almost you know, almost for sure there are kids like screaming in the background or we're trying to get them to bed or whatever. And so especially with like Trump, sometimes he'll say, say say things that are like little asides that will make a lot of news because they're just like really out there, incoherent. And you know, Asin has actually gotten really good at being able to stay focused enough to find those little tidbits, you know, that can make for really good clips, but that if you or I, you know, it's, it's the 50th minute of a Trump speech. So your eyes are already kind of glazing over. Your mind is wandering. Um, <laughs> there's definitely value to be had in like staying focused on what he says, because sometimes it's just the little asides that are the best clips. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it, it can be kind of tough, not only just to identify and kind of like package clips, but then sometimes even just recognize them when they happen, because, you know, again, like with some of these congressional hearings that these days, I'm clipping a lot of hearings even earlier today. And um, they're quite boring. You know, I mean, some of these hearings are like four hours long and um, there'll be like an hour that will go by without anything newsworthy really happening. So, you know, it's almost a skill unto itself to just be able to have the discipline to stay focused enough to know when a good clip will pop up. So yeah, th- there's layers to it for sure. Um, But it's not very glamorous. I'll say that like it's a lot of kind of just like staring at your computer, listening intently, um, then making sure you have the quote transcribed correctly and, uh, you know, and taking it from there.
1: Right, which is not definitely not a skill that, that very many people. Uh, I don't think could pull off. But um, the hearings—I hadn't even really considered that because, like you said, they're four hours long. They're really boring. You're like, when is Marjorie going to speak? You're waiting for the usual suspects. But then somebody like a Wasserman Schultz kind of sneaks in there, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is definitely worthy. And that's you said yeah. that—that's yeah. a real, especially with your kids. They're both under four, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Well, during fantastic.
0: during the day, it's fine. I mean, this is kind of my golden window of time. Um, but yeah, it's it's the evening stuff that's like always, you know, it's like, um, it's almost, you know, it's kind of like trying to clip in like a burning house, you know, where it's just like, are they okay? What's going on? Yeah, Why are they screaming? Yeah. You know, like there's always like just an emergency around the corner kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's really tough because, you know, a lot of these Trump rallies are or are, are evening time um, or weekends, you know, so like, like he has one, I'm going to be out of town this weekend, but um, Saturday night, has a rally in erie pennsylvania um, which um you know depending on if he is indicted before then um could be could be interesting or it might not be because sometimes he you know he he is good when he needs to at kind of sticking to the script and like and actually his rallies you know there's been kind of diminishing returns on them i would say where um i don't know it was there was something about when he was president and would say you know like he would start a chant you know send her back towards ilan omar or something like yeah. that you know when you're president it's like wow that's like Really, i mean it's terrible but it's also really notable in a way um that that's happening but now that he's you know i mean not that he couldn't be president again but i've just found maybe it's just because i've seen so many of them that like they're just not they don't grab your attention in the way that they did even you know four or five years ago kind of thing but um but yeah i mean the point simply being that um yeah ev- evenings can be tough uh but during the day like when a lot of, the, one of, the, a lot of these hearings like the one you alluded to with rfk jr where Debbie Washington and Schultz really had a great line of questioning. She's actually consistently really good at those hearings. So I kind of know to perk up when it's her turn. But there are a lot of, you know, you can tell which members really do their homework before hearings and kind of have like probing questions and which ones, for whatever reason, weren't that interested in the hearing. And then they just kind of have like a boilerplate speech that they give or like just kind of waste time during their questioning period. Um, and as you watch more and more of them, you kind of, you know, you, you, you begin to understand that more. Like Ace and I were actually DMing during the the one that was a day before the RFK one where Marjorie Taylor Green brandished the nude photos of Hunter Biden around. And he actually, you know, he was telling me, he's like, I have a feeling that Marjorie Taylor Green is going to do something like super outrageous in this hearing. And um, so I kind of had that filed away. And like, that's, you know, you could predict that for every hearing and your success rate would probably p- be pretty high with her. You know, um, <laughs> that's not exactly, that's not exactly making like a bold prediction. Um, right. You're know, Like saying like saying the Yankees are gonna win the World Series this year or something. That's unlikely, but. Ow. But, um, <laughs> Ow. <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, sure enough, you know, he said that and then like 15 minutes later, there she was brandishing nude photos. Um, and that was actually one that kind of fell into an interesting gray area. Like I made the editorial choice on that, not to post that just because, I mean, for kind of obvious reasons, it's sort of like revenge porn, it's super inappropriate. Um, but other people, you know, including Asin, did post it. And um, and I can't really blame him. There is like news value to that, but it's just, I don't know, where do you draw that line? It's kind of different for everyone. And my standards have sort of, sort of shifted a little bit over the years, but um, with something like that, that's clearly kind of very mean-spirited and meant... To like humiliate someone, um, that just kind of fell phone into his own. Where even though it happened during a correct, uh, congressional hearing, which is like the most public thing that you could have, pretty much, um, it just you know to me across that line where I didn't want to post that myself.
1: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get
2: any better than this.
1: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
2: There really is no place like home.
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. There are a lot of people out there who who said to i've seen to you to ron filipowski to asin that you're amplifying trump you're amplifying the crazy you're delivering the message for him and i don't retweet his truths or i never retweeted him or i don't share his truths for those reasons because I don't necessarily want things packaged the way he wants them packaged but when he's talking I don't think that it's always that way I think that it's it's very helpful to hear him in his own voice because he doesn't have all the controls over what he's saying cuz he's Trump so what do you say to people who say you're doing that you're helping him aiding and abetting him delivering his message for him amplifying him when he shouldn't be
0: Yeah I mean I think that well first of all you know whether you're talking about when he was president or now when he's like the presumptive gop nominee i mean it's just the the fact that he has a lot of sway and a lot of power um and so i don't really think that ignoring him has much upside i mean i think if anything we're better off kind of knowing what he's saying and doing so we can you know prepare to push back against it or kind of like you know approach it with eyes wide open in terms of okay here's here's what he's saying how can we counter that um, but the other thing that's maybe even more important than that, although it's kind of hand in hand, is that, you know, I do really try to make sure I'm not amplifying him in the sense that I'm like quoting his lies or things like that. You know, when he's lying, you know, I I, I point that out and then explain yeah. why sort of thing. Now, even within that, it gets complicated because I've seen this a few times and I'm sure you you've noticed that, you you know, so on Twitter, like, I you know, you or myself, you post a video on Twitter. Someone else can share that video, which what happens then is they post that video. It says underneath their tweet, it'll say like from Aaron Rupar, but they can add their own caption above that. So like there have been times where I've had a tweet that was meant as like a fact check of something that Trump was lying about. And then I'll see some right wing account sharing my video and saying with the caption, like, wow, didn't Trump own the libs here or something, you know, and kind of using it for their own purposes. And so that, you know, you can never really like totally account for situations like that. I mean, I guess. You know, in a case like that, maybe you're just better off not posting at all. But um, I try at least in my own account, you know, to make sure that I have appropriate context and that I'm not amplifying his lies in the sense that I'm spreading them uncritically. Like, if anything, I want to explain why he's lying in hopes that people carry that information with them. You know, if they're talking to someone that they know and they repeat that lie or something that they have the tools to, to fact check that or push back. Um, but I guess, again, the bigger the the bigger point is just that I think there's very little value in pretending that, you know, Trump doesn't have the allegiance of, you know, I mean, right now it's over 50% of the Republican base, you know, in terms of the polls that are happening among the primary, like it's a very, you know, it's a very large swath of the voting public. I mean, not to mention how close the 2020 election was. Um, So I just think that we're better off kind of understanding what's going on there. And I've, I've never really understood the argument that there's a whole lot of upside in like ignoring him because the people who he wants to hear his message are going to hear it, like whether or not I'm covering him, You know, his base voters are going to hear his message and they aren't even necessarily the people that I'm trying to engage with. I mean, it's more obviously people like you and I who are kind of, you know, liberal. But then also, you know, the people, the the, the very small percentage of people who are in the middle, who it's a very small percentage. But these are people who decide elections in our Mm -hmm. system right now because we are so, you know, so polarized. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I try to be responsible in what I post. I don't think I'm batting. 100 on that. I don't think anybody is, you know, and there's always kind of like edge cases. Uh, but those are the principles I try to keep in mind at all times, being sure that I'm providing appropriate context that if there is something untrue in a clip that I point out what the truth is, um, But, you know, I mean, Trump tries to manipulate people by me and a lot of Republicans do, too, with just lying incessantly. It's like the fire hose. I mean, Bannon, you know, flooding the zone with shit. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a very common technique on the Republican side. And so it can make it really tough where maybe I want to post a minute long clip of something Trump says has has, had a rally, but there are six lies in this one, uh, you know, one minute clip. And so it can be kind of exhausting to try and catalog those. But um, to the extent that I can, I, I try and do that.
1: Yeah, and I think I've come to the realization, at least as much as possible, it is obviously a very fine line, but that we ignore him to our collective peril. I mean, we just—you just can't. Yeah. you just can't. You can't ignore the monkey in the corner of the room that keeps throwing shit at you. You just can't. At some point, you just have to deal with it. And and I definitely think there's a fine line. I think you navigate that really well. Um, I also wanted to sidebar, before we jump to Elon really fast, I just, on a personal note, I, forgot, I meant to mention this to you, way, way, way back when... Joe Biden actually won the election and Donald Trump did not. And Joe Biden is not Jim Carrey in a mask and he's actually not a Gitmo. But when Trump lost, you were one of the first people, again, I followed you and I followed you very religiously for a long time, who said Trump will be the nominee in 2024. And I was like, shit, he won't. You're crazy. It's not <laughs> happening. After January, 6th, after January 6th, you said something to that effect. And I said, no way. Look, they're done. This is finally their off ramp. You're wrong. And boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Now, I can admit when I'm wrong. I know a lot of people do not know that about me, but it is true. And you, you were right, because he is going to be. And I think we all know that. And I was fucking oh, okay. And I still can't believe we're here. We're on a diamond watch number three. But
0: yeah, yeah. why well, did you it, say yeah. that
1: all the way back then?
0: Well, I, I think I, I'm trying to remember when that I would have said that, because the moment that it became clear to me that he was still – the presumptive nominee was when Kevin McCarthy went down to Mar-a-Lago, which I think was like late January 21. Yeah. Yeah. um, Because I'm sure, you know, you probably remember as well. And, you know, I remember clipping um, those nights like right after January 6th, when maybe it was even, it might've been the night of January 6th where where Lindsey Graham gave that tearful speech where it seemed like he was like tipsy. There was something going on there. because He he looked kind of, sweaty you know i mean it's like january in dc so it's not warm and you know he looked kind of disheveled and and granted i mean there was a coup attempt that day so maybe you know maybe who can blame him but um <laughs> you know he seemed a little loopy and you know he had that speech about like saying something effective like man it's been it's been a good run with trump but it's over like i'm done you know and of course he wasn't um and even you know but even mccarthy kind of said similar things including you know not just that night but in the week you know 10 days or so following january 6th and then i believe it was still in january of 21, where he went down to Mar a Lago, they post that kind of famous photo we've all seen of them standing like in a ballroom there. And, um, you know, that was kind of like the reconciliation, you know, that kind of set the stage with McCarthy being the house leader, you know, that, which culminated him becoming, you know, speaker as he is now, and Trump still having um, that dominant position over the party. And, um, you know, I still, even as recently as like four or five months ago, I mean, I remember having um Ron Filipowski on my podcast like in February or March. And he was really making a case even at that time that he really thought DeSantis had a shot. Um, you know, his campaign unfolded in such a way where I just think that um, you know, at this point we're, you know, we're still like eight months away from votes being cast and in, in the Iowa, you know, the Iowa caucuses occurring, but um, you know, it seems like he's done for already. But um, you know, I, I was the point being I was willing to entertain the possibility that Trump could lose a primary even as recently as like March. But it seemed as soon as it became really, really clear that DeSantis wasn't going to be able or he was unwilling to run the only type of campaign I think that could have worked for him, which would have been one where he really portrayed Trump as a loser and kind of made the case like, look, you know, this guy couldn't handle losing. He tried to overthrow democracy like here in Florida. I won by 20 points like we're winning. And, you know, and granted, you and I, we we both disagree with. Pretty much the entirety of his policy agenda. But, you know, he could have made that case to Republicans like look at this policy agenda in Florida that we did. Like we have, you know, super majorities and the legislature we're getting all this stuff done like we're winning. And that would have been the contrast. But I think, you know, he made the calculation rightly or wrongly that he couldn't afford to alienate Trump's base, that he had to keep them kind of on side. And we saw that when he had that very mild criticism of Trump's affair with Stormy Daniels, where he said something to the effect of like, well, I just couldn't possibly relate to having an affair with a porn star or whatever. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Don Jr and all of like the the mega true believers kind of teamed up on him and really went after him. And then, you know, it ended up being something that I think he ended up regretting because it really hurt his standing in the Republican primary polling. Yeah. As soon as that episode happened, which I think was like in April, uh, that was when it really became clear to me that, um, they're just, you know, you you can't run to supplant Trump if he's in the race and you're not drawing a contrast with him in any way, shape or form. So I think we still kind of have these zombie candidates like, you know, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, where I think they're still either hoping that they can be on the ticket with Trump or alternatively, that something happens legally that is just so damning in the sense that it, it makes it un- impossible for Trump to keep running. He drops out for whatever reason. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of like the Hail Mary uh, candidates where they're hoping, you know, for some sort of like divine intervention or a miracle of some sort. But, um, you know, I mean, meanwhile, Trump sent like 55 percent of the polls. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was never really in doubt. I guess it became more and more clear over recent months. But I would again, I would trace it back to that Mar-a-Lago trip where it became clear that January 6th for the way that it kind of eroded some of Trump's standing, you know, for about a week there, Um, it was just a short term blip and not a long term thing. Yeah,
1: it's funny because something people wouldn't probably know about me is that I I often give Republicans a little bit more credit than they probably deserve. And I really do get I, I, I get accused of being a little bit naive about them because I thought January 6th was a red line. I also thought grabbing by the pussy was a red line. I also thought rapists are, was a red line. I also thought being a rapist was a red line, but I've been wrong on all of those counts, obviously, because here we are. Um, and I don't think anything that comes out of any of these cases or any indictment or conviction that we could see in the next year and a half It doesn't matter. I mean, he could be shooting Betty White, uh, you know, in her coffin in the middle of Fifth Avenue while handing Kim Jong Un like a bag of you know American secrets and telling everybody about it. at The same time, I cleaned that up by the way because I said jerking him off one other time. And Uh so anyway, (laughs) I think he could do all of that, and they would say it was fake news. I don't even believe he has documents in Mar-a-Lago or had documents in Mar-a-Lago. Despite everything, moving that aside because you said Ron DeSantis, which is a very good pivot point to get to. Elon Musk, which obviously brings us to Twitter, which is where I became aware of you. And what happened to you, what was done to you in the early days of the Musk takeover? Tell us about that. Well, well, first of all, I want to ask you about that. Then what you generally think of what is happening to the platform, what's being done to the platform, why? Let's start with what happened to you.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, um, in December, my account was suspended by Elon Musk. um, And initially, it was supposed to be a permanent suspension, which um, was quite disconcerting given that I kind of operate or, you know, I'm kind of winding down how important Twitter is to my business. But at that time, it was very important to the newsletter business that I run. But basically, like the short bit of context there was, you know, Musk took over like in October, I think it was. He became the owner of Twitter. I had done some newsletters. Very critical of, you know, for instance, like when he had the episode where he was spreading homophobic conspiracy theories about Nancy Pelosi's husband. Like I had a newsletter that kind of got into that and how that was a really bad sign for where Twitter was going, because that was like literally his first weekend, I think, controlling the platform. And then I also had some tidbits about I think it was November where he he posted a tweet explicitly endorsing Ron DeSantis, kind of saying, like, I think DeSantis is the candidate that can bold, you know best win the, the presidency on the Republican side or something like that. I encourage people to vote for him. Um, you know, so just kind of like little things in my newsletter criticizing him. I'm, I'm not sure to what extent, if at all, he was plugged into that, although like I would tweet about these news- newsletter items as well. So they would be on Twitter, too. And then I was one of the group of journalists where um, people may or may not remember um, when there was an account on Twitter that was tracking his private jet. And it was just using you know publicly available information where his jet would you know log in at certain airports, log out. You can track their flights, that sort of thing. And, you know, Elon made a big story out of this when he suspended that account. And so all I did was I posted a tweet saying, hey, this account might not not exist on Twitter any longer, but it's still on Facebook. Like, here's the link if you want to follow this account on Facebook. And that was the infamous um, he accused me and the other journalists who had shared a link to this Facebook page as sharing his assassination assassination coordinates, as he put it. (laughs) <laughs> and the idea being that we we're like trying to you know have someone shoot shoot down his plane or something i mean the whole thing was entirely ridic- ridiculous for very obvious reasons but um that was the reason that was given to me you know so basically just to back up one step i log on to twitter one evening and i can see the feed i can like read tweets but then at the top of my uh home it says your account has been permanently suspended for violating the rules and i'm like Boy, that's weird, you know. And I had to actually like kind of think for a while because then I started getting contacted by um, journalists because I think I, I in some like text group I'm in, I, I told people that my account had been suspended, so word kind of got out. And then you know, like uh, Oliver Darcy at CNN, like I had reporters contacting me, and, and they were asking me like, "What did you do? Like, what happened?" And I, I at first I was like, "I have no idea what I did. None. Like, it didn't even occur to me." That posting this link could have possibly been something that would result in your account i didn't even remember posting the tweet because it was like whatever you know it's just kind of this weird paranoid thing that elon has like no facebook isn't going to take this page down for very obvious reasons because it's all public information like you know if if this really put people in danger this information would not be publicly available there's no precedent for people using flight coordinates to you know take out a plane or something like that i mean it's just completely (laughs) ridiculous um so anyway eventually i pieced it together um but then by this time, there was such backlash because I was one of like, you know, Donnie O'Sullivan at CNN was another. And um, there was an NBC reporter, if I'm recalling correctly, who was part of this. Like it was a big group. And so, you know, the backlash was so severe that Elon ended up posting a poll asking his followers, when should I reinstate these accounts? And there were a number of options, including like never. And the other one was like immediately, and immediately ended up winning like pretty overwhelmingly and then he actually posted another poll after that because i guess he didn't like the results of that one that had like different i think one of the options was like one day or 48 hours or something and then that one again the the options that were like reinstate them right away one so it ended up being like a two-day thing and in the meantime that was probably the biggest little blip i've had in terms of newsletter subscribers because there were so many people who were like you know, you kind of made this like folk hero out of me for, for a small little period of time and um that ended up being a really weird week because I ended up doing so many media hits. Like I was on MSNBC, CNN, BBC, NPR. Like I did all these different radio and TV hits. And so um, in some ways he kind of did me a favor, but you know, it it kind of bigger picture obviously spoke very poorly of the direction that Twitter was heading in. And, um, you know, I know you wanted to ask me about that. I mean, I, I think that, you know, and maybe you've noticed this too, like my, my Twitter experience right now is like pretty normal um, because like the way that, The now that we can no longer, you know, I used to be verified. I I don't think you were legacy verified, right? So it's a little because, like, one of the things that when you were legacy verified is that you could filter your notifications either where, like, the only notifications I saw were people that I follow or verified accounts. And that was pretty good because, like, you would get other journalists who were sharing your stuff. You'd see that. Or, like, people like you who I was following, you know, you would reply, I would see it. Well, he took that away. So now the best that I can do is I filter my notifications where it's people that I follow. But even that is pretty good. So, like, I kind of see, you know, if you reply or like, you know, I'm following like three thousand people. So if someone shares something or like has a comment, I see that. And so I kind of have my little silo, you know, where it's still like my friends and colleagues and stuff were talking about the news. So I don't notice a lot of the nonsense on there, other than like when I pull up Elon's page or whatever. But um, you know, it really does seem like he's trying to drive people away. You know, like you, yeah, you know, myself, yourself, if we're kind of left of center politically. Um, it seems like there's no place at Twitter for us or there's like, you know, it's, we're being marginalized. Like now the, the changes to DMing, like you can't freely DM. I mean, he's basically trying to get everybody to pay and almost like out of principle at this point, I'm not going to pay him. You know, like if he would have made the ask in October and there were tangible upsides, I wouldn't have really had, it would have been fine. You know, in the sense that it's benefiting my business, like sure, you know, maybe I wouldn't have loved it, but like, okay, but he, he's made it such a you know, it's, it's such a like political statement now, or it's like kind of, I just don't want him to have any of my money basically long and short of it. So um, we'll see how long that lasts. And I still don't really feel like there's like totally a viable alternative on offer. I think threads is pretty close. It's um, yeah. But it really does feel like for people like yourself and myself, like the goal really on Elon's part is to push us away. And he's doing that kind of little by little.
1: Which is a shame, honestly, for a lot of reasons personally. Uh, but also I think he has a, Not not that I think he's, uh, uh, I mean, I don't even know if he's a good businessman or not because he's rebranding the the entire platform to the stupid letter, which apparently doesn't even have the trademark to do. But I think that we all talk about that's a new Coke moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. Hayes said, like, I'm increasingly beginning to think that he's just like this dumb, crazy guy who walked into a billion trillion dollars and he's just a bumbling fool at the end of the day. And there is a mountain of evidence to sort of (laughs) vet that thought. But I wanted to just make one quick side joke about that um, assassination coordinate thing. The whole sort of premise for which you were account your account was permanently suspended and wasn't was that during that time. People might remember he was also tweeting pictures of himself at the World right. Cup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the best coordinates here I am. Like I could sooner go to the World Cup. Like I really wanted to hurt you than look for your frigging plane in the sky <laughs> based on its coordinates. But that's again that's Elon, right?
0: Yeah, you're right. And also, like, um, just it just happened to be that all the all the people he suspended were critics of his, you know, and then also at that same time, you might remember there was uh, Lynette Lopez, who is a reporter at Insider, who has done like investigations into Tesla and, um, you know, and is also like an Elon critic going back many years, mainly because of Tesla. And she was suspended for absolutely no reason. Like they didn't even give her a reason. Um, So it just, you know, the, the whole thing was was completely ridiculous. Um, But, you know, I don't know what the intention was, whatever it was. It it definitely backfired, as has most everything he's done at Twitter. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these days, you know, he's such he he's such a he's so thirsty for attention that um, I tried not to give it to him most of the time. I mean, I don't follow him like I'll admit, you know, it's like kind of one of those, it's like every couple of days, I'll kind of, let's see what he's saying over here, you know? Um, But it seems like, you know, there'll be like a week that goes by where he's kind of quiet in the sense that he's not saying something outrageous or like getting people mad. And then it's like, he needs his fix of attention for the week or whatever. And, you know, the DM thing last week was one, of course, like the rebranding is another. Um, I don't really care about the rebranding. I mean, I don't know. It's... um it just seems like part of the ongoing project of like kind of destroying what Twitter was to me is sort of how I interpret that. Um, you know, I still, when I, when I look at my little browser bar and I see, I still, my eyes still don't really track the little X thing as being Twitter. I'm still kind of like looking for the little bird up there. You yeah. Know? So- uh, but that—that's whatever. That's that doesn't, you know, That's that's a very small harm yeah. in the in the grand scheme of things. So
1: yeah, true. And it's sad because I he came after me a couple of times, and I had my account locked for no reason whatsoever for two weeks, and that was a whole nightmare in itself. then it's nothing was ever explained to me about that. But I had tweeted recently about him, and it was very critical. It was like a picture of the Tesla stock or something like that. So I'm not at all convinced that it wasn't like. I mean, that sounds conspiratorial, or whatever. No, but he, we all know he's bit of a thin skinned narcissist and yeah, so he yeah. does as you know personally he does take things out on people when he feels like he needs vengeance and he uses his platform to do it but let's let's just we'll just keep putting our shit on every other platform there is <laughs> We're on all of them i'm not on that i couldn't figure that out i felt like i was back in like the commodore 64 days of trying to hit all the letters to make it run a picture of a robot yeah
0: so, I think that's the one that I'm like tempted to kind of drop at this point. I basically post my newsletters on there. Um, the thing that really annoys me about Mastodon is that if you want to find someone on there, they're almost impossible to find. Cause there's like four different pages, including like people set up like bot accounts that just port your tweets onto there, you know, but that's yeah. not you obviously. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's too unwieldy to have like kind of mass appeal. So, um, yeah. As much as I hate to to admit it, I mean, it does kind of feel like Threads is the one, even though it's like a a Zuckerberg production. um, There's the scale, there's kind of like the slickness of the interface, like how easy it is. Um, The Instagram integration is obviously pretty, you know, pretty helpful in terms of like making it easy to use. Um, So that that feels to me like the one that has the best shot. I mean, the thing that still kind of bothers me about Blue Sky is just the lack of video. Like for someone like me, it's kind of like, well, you can't post video, like I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Yeah. um and then you know i mean the other ones you know we could we could i could tick through all of them but yeah i mean it just twitter to me still oh and the other thing too that's a little underrated about threads that's kind of a shortcoming is that I, I kind of miss the conservatives a little bit like you know there's <laughs> we talk about we talk so much about owning the libs like there is something about owning the cons that um i always kind of liked about twitter because they were on there yeah. threads it's all libs and so like you, you have to screenshot the tweets and then drag the you know but it's not yeah. the same as like quote tweeting them and so yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, just full full honesty. Like I I do miss owning the cons on on threads. It just doesn't have that element. So
1: well, that's the thing. I think that will forever keep Twitter close to my heart. Is it's like <laughs> it's very Jersey for me. It's very dirty. It's like you know, like yeah. Facebook is like moms and soccer moms and like I don't know. It's like it's there, and then Threads is a little more like I don't know uh, erudite or something, and then Twitter's like like and it's dirtier than ever now. I mean, I get. I have a viral mugshot that is not me that says I'm a. Oh, I've seen, a, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, yeah. Saw, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, well, I knew that. Yeah, <laughs> it clearly is not you. It's kind of like okay, <laughs> no, it's like a but, it's like a blonde woman, like
1: yeah, and who is sad because they did actually take. It's really sad. She was part of a story years ago where they chronicled the kind of demise of these meth addicts, and the, from their first mugshots to the last one, and and hers is one of them. But they took her face and my eyes and mashed them together somehow. Wow. I don't even know how. But someone was smart enough to figure it out. Not not me. I just know I'm not a meth head. Never was a meth head. I've always smoked pot twice. I uh, mean, <laughs> I'm just not. I mean, I like my I like my drinks. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just drugs are just not my thing. Yeah. Um. But tragically, my brother was his life was also lost. In addiction so that's part of the reason but not to bring it down but I you know my brother is a lesson and I was learning that lesson
2: okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: When I wrap up my episodes, I have a rapid-fire round of random questions. Okay. Are you ready? and sure. then you can tell us um, at the end where everybody should follow you how they should check out your newsletter public notice because it's amazing and then but sure. we'll do the rapid fire first and then you can tell us where everybody can find your stuff and what you're up to question one what was the first movie you saw in the movie theater
0: the, the first one I remember seeing uh, was probably Bambi
1: Oh. Hmm.
0: yeah kind of a sad one I, I remember being very sad but yeah I think it must have been like four or five and that came out oh wow so, yeah.
1: yeah I think yeah mine was actually E.T. which is weird and I went barefoot because my my stepmother took us from the pool. But that I was that was 1983. So I was up there in an age I was like, what is this whole movie experience all about? <laughs> um, okay, two. This is a very random question. These are very random questions. If animals could talk, which would be the rudest?
0: Oh. Uh, hmm. I mean, I kinda I kind of feel like dogs would be ruder than we might think. I don't know. Like I um I've got some opinions about dogs that I try to keep to myself because they're not popular, but, um, you know, it's like it, it's kind of they 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 mirror their owners sometimes and being just kind of like they're off leash and like jumping on your kids and stuff. And, you know, the owners always think it's adorable, but it's kind of like, I don't, you know, I, I think I, I trace a lot of this back. I'm a runner still to this day, although I've had to like scale that back being in my late 30s now, you know, my legs will yell at me now and then like, hey, cut it back kind of thing. So I, I try to yeah. mix in bike rides now too. But when I was maybe like 13 or 14, I, a dog bit me while I was running, ran the ass. Uh, but it was like kind of bad, you know, and, and then the thing that this was up, my, my parents had a cabin at this time. So it was like kind of in a rural part of Minnesota. And I remember they they asked the owner of the dog kind of like, so is, had the did the dog have all of his shots and stuff? And they were like, uh, we're not sure. There's like, honestly, like we don't. Yeah. The, so it was a dog that they had gotten as like a, I don't know if it was a rescue dog or whatever, but like they hadn't had the dog when it was a young dog. And they never got the shots for the dog. So they were kind of like, we don't know. Thankfully, I never got rabies or anything, so that was good. But yeah. you know, it was kind of like it was one of those deals where it's like, you know, these dogs they, they bite you, and I it's always kind of some you know somewhat front of mind when I see my kids around dogs and stuff. So I feel like they'd be kind of rude, uh, maybe not the rudest, but there's many animals, you know, like I can't inventory like the, what uh, probably tens of thousands of animals that exist. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I will just use that question as an opportunity to share some of my unpopular. <laughs> dog
1: dogs, yeah, I'm totally going to out you on every social <laughs> media platform, including Macedon. And I'm not even on there. i be like,
2: I eh, hate dogs. <laughs> <No,
0: laughs> dogs. I don't are- hate that. No, it's not, it's not that I hate dogs. It's just that um, they're not as lovable as many people seem to think that they are. As well. Like I, I'm, get, I'm neutral on dogs, but I get annoyed by them sometimes.
1: And I get the kid thing because with Mia, I know that she loves dogs and I understand it too. Like, I get it. I remember you posting something about her wanting to pet all the dogs and I know that's scary as a parent because they're little and the dogs, you don't know and maybe they're yeah. not always so friendly um but we'll we'll set that aside it's not as bad as you putting ketchup on eggs and it's okay that you're a twins fan even if you're not a yankees fan that's also fine um my son i told him you were a twins fan he's like we have to go to that stadium it's one of the most beautiful stadiums according to everybody but oh yeah um yeah, I got to go. I know. I see it on the show. He plays that game the show and you know they do the virtual stadiums. I'm like, that one is pretty. But, it's
0: really nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also did the, the Yankees have beaten the Twins like a million times in a row in the playoffs, so yeah. um you <laughs> should have n- nothing but like um kind of warm feelings towards us cuz you beat us every time, so.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the team I've seen the most at the Yankee Stadium actually. I don't know why, but those tickets always seem plentiful and not as expensive as others. Yeah. So, you, you've um, seen a
0: lot of you've seen a lot of wins then for your team, yeah. so.
1: well, yeah. That was last year. But well, I, 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 I digress. Uh last question, if you could be a fl- since this is very interesting in terms of what you do on your you know, social media platforms, if you could be a fly on the wall for one day and you could go anywhere, who would you want to listen to one day fly on the wall anywhere in the world?
0: Okay. Um, hmm. I mean, it would have to be like, so we're talking about things that are happening like right now. It's not yeah. like historical. Okay. Oh,
1: well, you, you, look, you can interpret it. however. Okay. You
0: well, yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to be kind of like in the oval office. Right. I mean, I don't know, like where else I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, the, there is kind of the nerdy, like sports brain part of me that's into like, Oh, if I could be in the room with the twins general manager and the trade deadline in two days, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, let's face it like, you know, just on a random day, I'd re- I'd like to just kind of be in the Oval office and see what happens for one day. Cause I mean, you and I were there at the same time at the white house, we weren't in the oval office. Um, at least I don't think we were right. They cut nope, the tour didn't go to that. Yeah. No, yeah. No. So, um, so when you go there, the points of like when you and I went there for a tour, like you see a lot of interesting stuff, but you don't really see where the decisions are being made for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if, if I could be a fly on the wall, like that'd be cool just to kind of see how those processes work. Like when, you know, Biden is having a cabinet meeting and just, you know, uh, unlike the Trump cabinet meetings, we would go around and, you know, Ben Carson would talk about how he's the, the greatest president of all time. And then Pence would talk about, um, you know, how, um, you know, his farts smell great sort of thing and <laughs> they go around. But uh, you know, that was all kind of made for TV. So to be there, um, or even, you know, actually an interesting one would be like right now, um, for me, I mean, just being in like a Trump meeting with his lawyers right now, I think would be like how much how much ketchup is being thrown against the walls going through like five bottles of ketchup. I put the <laughs> over under maybe at like two and a half, you know. Um so I guess like if I really wanted to be like a good world citizen, the Oval Office, but like, you know, the uh that kind of like um The part of me that wants to kind of like point laugh at people would would the Trump lawyer meeting I think actually be more entertaining probably so
1: yeah and then and then you'd be like like to your friends like I was just a fly on the wall like I think it would be (laughs) and very much in this moment as we are on indictment watch I would like to be in Jack Smith's office that's where I would like to be on that wall and be like oh shit like I don't know. Um, okay. So thank you for answering my rapid fire random question round. It's my favorite part of all of these conversations. You would be shocked at what people reveal about themselves. <laughs>
0: catch-,
1: catch up is a big one because I have a red line where catch up is concerned. And a lot of people not become my are not my friends anymore as a result. But I digress. Okay. So, Erin, first of all, thank you for coming on, giving me so much of of your time. I appreciate it. Um, Where can people find you? What are you up to? What are you working on? And you have uh, your Substack newsletter, Public Notice, which is amazing, Mm -hmm. but tell us where else people can find you.
0: Yeah. So if people aren't familiar with the newsletter, it's uh, you can find it at publicnotice.co. I'm doing a lot of coverage of media and politics and then also kind of like Trump's legal problems these days have been a big topic of the newsletter. Um, I've got a big piece coming on Monday looking at the Republican Party's war in the military with like Tuberville and his military holds. And um, actually, David Lurie, who you might know, he's a, a lawyer who is like a liberal. He's quite active on liberal Twitter. But he wrote a kind of a historical analysis looking at McCarthyism from the 50s and how kind of like the Smears and Guilt by Association is something that Republicans these days are doing, and kind of extrapolating from that, how that really backfired for McCarthy, Joe McCarthy, when he went after the military, and how the current Republican Party, this attack that they're waging on the military over like the reproductive health care, allowing you know service members to travel for that, um, you know, a lot of stuff with trans people in the military, um, how that could similarly really hurt. The electoral prospects of the republican party next year and beyond so i uh, look for that on monday um, and then i'm on every single social media platform uh twitter uh, at rupar and threads i think i'm aaron dot rupar because at rupar was taken which is really annoying um but yeah so between the, the newsletter is kind of the main place that i would refer people to because i think you're getting kind of the whole picture there of the coverage that i'm doing and a lot of it these days is editing and publishing other people but i write for the newsletter too and then uh social media so i mean you know i'm, I'm guessing almost everybody who is This deep into the podcast, you follow Joey, (laughs) you probably follow me. So, uh, but on the off chance, there are, you know, three or four of you, uh, (laughs) AT Rupert on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, I'm on threads at Aaron.Rupert. Or if you're on both of them still check out my newsletter, public notice.co.
1: Definitely. And, um, let's keep an eye on that third, fourth, maybe whatever fifth indictments we're going to see. So, yeah, yeah. I know
0: I'm going, I'm going on a little vacation this weekend and I was actually in Chicago. I don't take that many vacations. I take maybe like three a year the Chicago, that was when Trump got indicted in New York. So that was kind of like, I ended up obviously not doing any work. So I didn't even have my computer on me. Now I'm going to Kansas city mainly to watch baseball and I'm like kind of bracing, we're going to be driving down there tomorrow. And news is going to break that Trump is indicted, but you know what? There's like a million other reporters out there who will dissect every last bit of it. So, um, the world will be fine without my commentary and reporting. They can wait until Monday. So
1: and you need to have the well-deserved time off. So enjoy that. Yeah. Re- reboot all the things. Thank you so yeah. much for Thanks, me. Joe.
0: Good Thanks for having me on the podcast. Right. really fun.
1: Thanks for, for being here. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. And if you are listening to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review.
0: Are You effing Kidding Me is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com.